Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to the Play for Keeps podcast, a production of the Ashland New Plays Festival here in beautiful Ashland, Oregon. Here at Play for Keeps, we are on the front lines on what's new in theater, and we're bringing you amazing conversations with creators, playwrights, and actors, and also full-length new plays for you here on our podcast, On Demand. This week, we have an amazing conversation between two amazing playwrights, Donna Hoke and Andrea Stolowitz. Donna is a playwright, dramatist, guild council member, blogger, and moderator of a 12,000-member Facebook group called the Official Playwrights of Facebook. She's also a New York Times-published crossword puzzle constructor. She's published children's books and is the founder and co-curator of the BUA Takes 10 GLBT short stories. Her popular blog series, Plonies, Playwrights Who Live Outside of New York, shares the wisdom and stories of a successful regional playwrights who live outside of New York. Her play, Teach, was a finalist at ANPF in 2018. We've recorded three of her plays here at Play for Keeps, including Brilliant Works of Art, Elevator Girl, and Flowers in the Desert. Andrea Stolowitz is a three-time Oregon Book Award-winning playwright. She is a recruit playwright-in-residence at the Artist Repertory Theater in Portland, Oregon, as well as a member of the New Dramatist Class of 2024 and a core member at the Playwrights Center. Her play, Knowing Carol, was a winner at AMPF's 2001 Fall Festival and world premiered at the Old Globe Theater, which earned San Diego's Billy Best New Play Award and an LA Times critic pick. It is published by Playscripts Incorporated and continues to be produced nationally and around the world. Now, without any further ado, an amazing conversation between Donna Hoke and Andrea Stolowitz. Hi, Andrea. Hey, Donna. Hi. I, I wish I could see you um, because we've never met before, which I find kind of unbelievable. I know. We have so many overlaps and so many people in common. And in fact, we share an agent. Yeah, I just realized that as well. And um, and I, what I did not know is that you used to be a regional rep for the Guild. And when was that? Because it must have been right before I came on board. Yeah, um, Steve Patterson and I, who also, he lives in Portland, Oregon, he and I were um, the original Portland um, rep. So there was one in Seattle, and uh, I spoke to that rep, and I said, hey, we need a rep in Portland. And he and I served, I think, oh, gosh, almost four years as regional rep, and then uh, we passed it on to Francesca, who's the regional rep uh, now. So what year did you stop? At, were we at a meeting together? Uh, the only meeting I was at was the one at uh, George Mason University. It was like in Virginia. I was outside of D.C. Were you at that one? It was maybe no, I, I, my first, my okay. first annual meeting that I went to, like the February meeting, was... 2013. So I think we just missed each other. Uh, you might have met Steve though, because I never went to the meetings in New York. He always did those, and I did the um, oh, okay. meetings, like the, the big uh, conferences, which was exciting. And I really, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed going, and I enjoyed seeing what the guild was uh, offering. It was very inspiring and uh, pretty exciting. No, and in I fact, just this morning, it. I was talking. I was emailing. No, I was on Facebook and. Oh my gosh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Liz Duffy Adams was writing about a play of hers that uh, an older play that suddenly, uh, when she read the reviews of it, uh, seemed to have been that there there was a character that was added by the production team. And I, so saw I, said, I saw that. I saw that. Call the Dramatist Guild, and she said, "Well, my agents are on it." And I said, "I call the Dramatist Guild anyway because they should know this theater because, in my experience, uh, when a theater does that." 
it's not because they don't know that they shouldn't, they do it anyway, and they're going to do it again. And so I really think what I love about the Dramatist Guild is that they uh, really keep track of these sorts of things, and they issue warnings to theaters that have done it before, and they hold uh, people accountable, accountable for um, copyright issues regarding uh, writers' plays. So. I'm a big Guild fan. I now I'm, I now am actually the rep for all of New York State, which is a little heady, um, but I have two ambassadors. Yeah. And I'm also on council. And one of the big things that I'm always trying to do is advocate for regional playwrights. That is a big charge. Uh. I have a series of interviews that I did. Um, I kind of coined Plony Playwright Living Outside New York. And that's also plural. It's kind of like moose. Um, so playwrights living outside New York, where I did a series of 13 interviews with playwrights who don't live in New York and who are pretty successful people. And anything that I can do to say, but how can you include regional playwrights in that um, is kind of my big charge on council. That's great. I love that. Um I love that uh, kind of mission. I I feel as a regional playwright that it is very very hard. I don't know. It's, a, it's I think it's a different animal actually to be a playwright regionally, um, that rather than to be one in a in a large urban hub that that produces plays. I guess New York, LA, really being the two that I can think of. Really, New York is where the industry is, and I and I think. Um, the longevity of being a playwright outside of New York City is a totally different uh, career trajectory and very difficult. So it's a completely so different animal. And in trying to um, talk to the guild about it, you know, there's some some sense. Oh no, you're all seeking the same opportunities, and and that is true to a, to a degree. Like the people in New York are submitting to a lot of the same things we are, but there are so many opportunities that are closed to us, and. Yeah. And we all know that if you have a big production in New York, that's what pushes it out into the regions for the most part. Yes. Um, and those opportunities are a lot harder for us living in the region. So I'm on the award committee for the Guild. And one of the interesting things that came up when we were discussing regional playwrights and criteria for one of the awards was like, well, you know, maybe they should have had, you know, three different different plays produced over the past two years. And they were like, what? Like, because that's just not what their careers look like that they have, you know, a little production here, a little production there. It's all kind of like getting that big one up and seeing what comes from it. Yes. I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting situation because um, I, I've had only one play produced in Portland where I live. Um, I'm an artist in residence at Artist Repertory Theater. I'm a playwright in residence. And um, uh, just prior to the when the new artistic director Damaso Rodriguez came on board. I was commissioned to write my play Ithaca, which then went on to win the Oregon Book Award. And um, it's a play about um, returning women, um, Marine combat Marines from Afghanistan. And it sort of models itself on the Odyssey. And uh, that play was commissioned from Artist Repertory Theater and produced here. And um, since that time, I haven't uh, had another play produced in my hometown, yet I'm produced uh, elsewhere. And so it's that weird thing of it's hard to get trajectory, you know, sort of like a good trajectory and traction in New York City. And it is also a little bit um, hard to get that in your own hometown, uh, sort of it's. Yeah, I don't know. No man's a prophet in his hometown, you know. And it's oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been. I mean, I've been living in Buffalo. Um, I mean, I became a playwright in Buffalo, even though I came from the tri-state area, living in New Jersey. But I did not become a playwright till I moved here, ironically and and sadly. Um, 
And I've had productions here, but it's it's been 11 years, and I feel like they're just starting to think, oh, that's an actual playwright. Um, I have my first commission from a theater here after 11 years. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it, I, but the, the difference is, and, I, and you might agree, is if you have the production in Portland or in Buffalo or in any other place where you might have had something produced, it doesn't have the same potential to travel. The way it does not. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's really, I know, I know. That's the tough thing. I mean, I, I hope that the National New Play Network can combat, combat that a little bit. Um, uh, and I think it can. But, you know, I guess what I see a lot, and I, and I wonder if this is gendered. Maybe you have an opinion about it, um, Donna. But I, I see that um, sort of this trajectory, that I see a lot of women writing plays, highly successful. I'm sure you and I could name um, six of them off the cuff right now, including ourselves, um, who don't live in New York, who win lots of awards and win lots of prizes and have plays produced, even the sort of rolling world premiere through National New Play Network. But their plays are constantly existing at the sort of very small level of theater and there is no breaking through point. And um, I, I don't know, I, I wonder, I, all of these people, uh, all of them are women. I, I don't see that same career trajectory. Um, I, well, I, I'm not comparing it with men. I just, all the people that I think of when I think of regional writers who've been working for a long time in the American theater, who have their work done um, uh, sort of across the country and win awards and prizes, like big awards and prizes, like the Yale Drama Series Award, like big awards and prizes, um, and are not names on you know, New York stages and are not names on larger regional stages. That's really the thing is we live regionally and we're still done in small theaters. I don't see a large breakthrough into anything bigger than really a Lord D theater. And that I, I find to be perplexing. I, I agree. I mean, I've had quite, I mean, I realized the other day and I had posted on my playwright page on Facebook that I have had 11 different full length plays produced. And in the next two years, we'll have four more additional titles produced. Um, and I've never had a full equity production of any of them. So yeah. most of those productions are coming from submitting cold to an opportunity and winning the production. And then maybe later, you know, it'll get another couple of productions. Um, but yeah, getting, getting into those big theaters, I think, is the continual challenge. And I think that's because the route to most of those is through New York. Um, and then where there are other opportunities... Um, it's a lot of relationship building or they have relationships with NNPN. Um, a lot of the regionals are, are becoming members, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. You mean the larger regionals, like larger than Lord Dave? Yeah, like Jeeva is a member um, in Rochester. That's the nearest one to me. Um, you know, Woolly Mammoth is a member. Trinity Rep is a member. Uh -huh. um, so, so some of the bigger regionals are becoming members, you know, that do those productions. Um but even the Rolling World premiere is is not necessarily the ticket to the big regionals. No, that's what I mean, is I see so many people having um, Rolling World premieres that continue to exist on a, on a uh, Lord D-sized theater, which isn't to knock it. And sometimes, you know, today while I was in the shower, I was thinking, you know, um, everybody's career is different. And, um, and, you know, I feel like my career is one 
that it's like, you know, slow and steady, slow and steady. I do my work. I write my plays. I raise my family. I, um, I teach, you know, and I kind of consistently work and work and work and work. And at some point I just think, oh my gosh, is it going to be operating at this small level forever? And it isn't about money and it isn't about notoriety. It's about, I write plays to be seen, heard, and experienced by other living humans. I create live experiences um, that hopefully shed light on our shared human experiences that are complex. And to be working in this field for 20 years and be constantly um, kind of existing on the margins of it with work that's lauded and wins prizes, it, it, at some point you just, it's hard. You lose steam a little because... Um, because, yeah, because it's you just think, well, what does it actually take? And I don't have an answer to that question. But I, as I get older and as I see women in front of me and it is women, women writers, excellent women writers who are five, maybe 10 years ahead of me who are still existing at that level. I I don't know. I just feel a little depressed, I guess. But then I try to remind myself everybody's career is their own career. And the main thing is you keep doing it. But that's what I've been saying to myself since I was 25 years old. And now I'm 47. And so is that what I say to myself for my whole life? You know, I wonder. I think there, I mean, there are a couple things that I think about. I mean, one, you have, you have nine years on me. I wrote my first full length play in 2008 and had my first production of any play at all in 2010. Wow. So I've only been having plays produced for nine years. Um, I, I often think, oh, if I had only gotten into this when I was younger and, you know, but I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been any different. And maybe, you know, this is the way it was supposed to happen. Um, so few people actually are are having the kind of recognition we're even talking about. And I, I find a lot of consolation in knowing that most of my plays do find a home in production. I mean, maybe not repeatedly, um, but I've seen a lot of my work produced and, and you have seen a lot of your work produced. And I think that for so many people like Gwydion gives those statistics of only one in 10 plays even gets a production. So I guess I kind of am happy that I must be doing something right. And I get to have those experiences at all. Yeah. And I've also yeah. been trying to, um, uh, Karen Zacharias was one of the Cloney, I interviewed, and she's pretty phenomenal. Um, and she said that she tried not to write a play unless she knew that there would be somebody who would look at it with some interest. And I kind of am trying to take that to heart a little bit, not for every project, but kind of like, you know, write one for me, write one for the other guy sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like those kinds of successes, like knowing there's something on the horizon, after I had that first production in 2010, I spent a year writing 10-minute plays just because I was kind of getting into them. I was a brand-new playwright. And the successes of those, I think, are what spurred me on and, and motivated me to continue because I knew that, that I was doing something right and people beyond my hometown or anywhere were taking an interest. So mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing. Like You have to find ways to set yourself up for continual successes or I think you yeah. could really burn out. I mean, if I hadn't had a production in five years, I don't know that I would be able to continue. Yeah, but I meet playwrights where that's the case um, all the time. I mean, like where it's really uh, where that happens, where you hit this dry spell, where you I mean, you know, because I've been in it a lot longer. I don't know, like the play that was done at 
Ashland New Play Festival in 2001, knowing Kiro. In um, 2003, that play was produced at the Old Globe in San Diego, which was the lar- to this date the largest the Lord B Theater, the That's largest regional amazing. production I've ever had. And every I mean, producers came out from New York, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! You just graduated from graduate school. This is such a great play. It's three three characters. There's producers interested in it in New York. I had a different agent then. That was my first of three agents. I'm now my third agent. And, um, and I mean, long story short, like it had a, like a smaller production in Chicago. It had a couple other regional productions, but nothing ever happened and it never, never hit. And, um, I don't know, like, I feel like, um, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you do keep yourself sustained in various ways and the way I've always kept myself sustained is just to say, I write plays because that's what I do. And I write plays and then they will find a home. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have no idea how to write a play for like what Karen's advice was of like, I'll write a play when there's interest in it. I don't even know what that means because um, I think more um, like, um, I like talking to the theaters, um, like, like Topher Payne was another Polonia interviewed and, and his story is really interesting because uh-huh. in Atlanta, he moved there and he, you know, wrote his own plays, but he got to know this theater and he just said to them, like, what would it take for you to not produce Steel Magnolias again? Like, what, what would you do in a new play? Uh-huh. And they said, oh, well, maybe this. And so he wrote that. Um, but then over time, you know, he got them to do the things he wanted them to do, but they needed to kind of be taught. And I feel like in Buffalo, that's a little bit of it too. So this commission that I have um, that will go up in May, 2021 is something that this particular theater wanted. And I think if they, they see that you write something that is of interest to them, um, then they're more open to maybe do a play that is of interest to you. Ah, that's interesting. I don't know. That hasn't been, that hasn't really been my experience. My experience has been lots of people telling me the kinds of plays they'd like to do. And I listen to that and I write something that I think speaks to my heart as well as sort of follows what their guidelines are (laughs) and they'll give me money and it'll be a commission. But in the end of the day, they won't produce it. Um, and I'll kind of ask and say, Hey, you said you wanted to do a play about, uh, for example, um, complexities around conversations about ethnicity and race. And then they'll say, yes, we do. But yours is so pushing the envelope that it's too complex. And now uh, we want to do complex things, but not that complex. And so I guess I I feel like, huh, OK, people don't in my experience, theaters don't really know what they want. And then they say what they want and they deliver <laughs> well, something that they said they wanted. But then actually it's too much of what they wanted. So I don't know. I, I feel like I've had more luck just saying, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's still interesting. And I'm still like loving the work that I create based on the prompts given to me from other people. Um, and I always find my heart and my soul in it. But in the end of the day, like, I think it's a big fat lie what people say they want, but that's just my thought. No, I think it's true. I think everybody wants the romance of just kind of opening a play and reading it and saying, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but I, I mean, I, I mean, now I sound like an embittered playwright, but I'm not, I'm not an embittered playwright. <laughs> I want to talk about the things that I'm really grateful for because there's some things, cause I have a lot of support and I have a lot of support to do my work. And I, and I think what keeps me going actually is reminding myself of that. So I'm going to just say that, um, artist repertory theater, where I'm a playwright in residence, it's an endowed position for five years, it's modeled on the Mellon Foundation grant, and it's a private donor that donated this position and this money for me to be here in my office right now 
um, for me to be able to do my work here. I was already a resident artist here and they, and I have a commission out with artist repertory theater. Um, perhaps it will be done in their next two seasons. Only time will tell. Um, but, but what I'm grateful for is that, um, that somebody here in this community in Portland, uh, saw the value of the Mellon Playwrights in Residence grant and saw that having a, a, a working playwright embedded in the fabric of this theater would be valuable so that I could understand the institution and that the institution, which isn't made up of institutes, but instead made up of people, but not often artists, could understand the perspective of playwrights, a theater that is dedicated to um, producing new plays, but didn't have a playwright on staff. So um, now they do. And that is amazing because it means that I can teach less and I can create more. And that's, that's huge. And without that fellowship without these five years, I couldn't do the work that I do. And I am so grateful for that. It's worth so many, um, I don't know when I feel down, I just think somebody wants my work. They want me to keep working. They're paying me to keep working. So I love that. And I love new dramatists where I'm, uh, in my, I just finished my second year. It's a seven year residency in New York. And I feel so grateful. I feel so grateful that they've looked at the trajectory of my career and said, yes, you need support and we are going to give it to you. Um, so I feel like there's so much support too. I just wish that ultimately getting the plays, these are all development and support things mm -hmm. and prizes and awards. And I feel supported. I just wish that it were easier or more practical or the market were different. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I'm grateful. I am. Those are both pretty, those are both really amazing things. And I think, I mean, the number of times that I have said to my husband, like, oh, like this thing is going to make a difference. And I think realizing at this point that there really is no holy grail um, thing that is going to make that difference. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like to talk about, uh, do, you, do you watch that show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you watch the, the episode with Barack Obama and Jerry Seinfeld? Yes, yes, yes. So I love it when um, Obama says to him, you know, how do you keep from, you know, getting jaded or this or that? And he says, because it's always about the work. And I've always noticed that in any playwright who's ever interviewed, you know, they might have a huge hit or they might have, they always want to talk about the next thing they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is like, you know, very close to what you said. You know, you write plays because that's what you do. And I find that that's what I do too, you know? Um, so something might be happening, but I'm always like onto the next thing, you know, because even when a production is happening, maybe you wrote that play five years ago and you're excited about it, but it's not the thing that's burning in your brain anymore. That's, um, that's true. And I that's think that that's what keeps it exciting. Um, the Carnegie Mellon thing, it's sad. There are two theaters in Buffalo who would have applied with me. One of them doesn't have the budget and one of them had not done one of my plays before. So I could not apply even for that. I know. Well, you know what, Donna, the, I applied for it with artist repertory theater, but we didn't get it. So artist repertory ha theater had done, uh, one of my plays and they did have the budget. Um, so the last, uh, melon cycle we applied, uh, but we didn't, we weren't awarded the award. And that's when I actually went to the, to the private donor who lives here in Portland and said, Hey, the theater and I want to do this. We did not get this award. We wish we had the next cycle for application is in three years. Um, would you, what do you think about sponsoring this position? And so I, I found that, um, sort of, uh, the private support of art and artists has been, uh, something surprisingly, uh, fertile. 
And I encourage other artists. So, for instance, uh, I don't know if there are in Buffalo um, theater patrons. I mean, you know, this sort of notion of of patrons and uh, wealthy people who don't support institutions, but rather support the artists. So I sort of got tired of seeing institutions being supported, but not the artists, you know? <clears throat> so I thought, what can I do to, to take matters into my own hands? I mean, I'm an award-winning playwright. I've been doing it a long time. I have interesting projects. Um, uh, what, what, what can I do? And, and, and that was sort of the boldest, that was the boldest thing I've ever done. I, I made the ask and, um, and it worked out and now I have this position. And so it was very empowering to see that, that, you know, my work has value to other people. And that when I talk about it and ask for what I need, that, that people listen, maybe more so than institutions. I don't know. Yeah. I think, uh, uh making the ask is a big, a big part of self-advocacy. Yeah. Uh, I think the longer you go on, the more confident you become in your work, the easier it is to make that ask. Yeah, I've been planning. I've been planning it since 1997. I mean, when I, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I sometime in like basically in grad school at UCSD, I had seen that the New Play Festival was um, sponsored by a, a wealthy family whose name became attached to the New Play Festival, and it funded people to come out from New York to see our work, and it funded full productions of our work every year for the three-year program at UCSD, which was tremendous and exciting. And, uh, and I thought, wow, there is a, there are, there's a couple that is giving money each year for this new play festival to exist. I'm going to find myself a sponsor one day. And, um, yeah, so I had been kind of scheming it. And then I read this wall street journal article, you know, about artists who found sponsors and there are some famous ones, you know, Chuck me who had, you know, a sort of private sponsorship of his work for a very long time. And I think about the quality of his work and how it's changed the shape of the American theater and that potentially his work and his plays, which has, which have changed the shape of the American theater might not have existed if he didn't have someone privately funding his work. And so that, that to me, things like that feel very encouraging when I think about people whose work I greatly, greatly admire, who've affected my work and the notion of theatricality to such a degree as his work has, and know that his work wouldn't have been supported um, by institutions and hasn't been really. Uh, but due to private sponsorship for an artist, uh, we have all these great plays that he has penned. Well, see, now when I did the Pony interviews, I asked everybody, like, what do you think is the single most important thing a Pony can do? Um, to help their career. Um, and it sounds like, like that, like, you know, find, find those sources of support wherever they may be, um, in your own. I mean, what I always like to tell people when I do the seminars on submitting, especially for regional playwrights and how to have a career and what your career might look like as a pony is to own your own hometown. Um, you know, know everything there is to know about theater in your hometown, know all the people, go to shows, support them. And I find that's, where opportunities tend to open up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a definitely, it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting. I mean, how I love talking to playwrights about just how they keep themselves motivated. You know, there's a big trend now of self-production in New York, uh, playwrights producing their own work and it's really a different model than it's ever been. It used to be sort of, uh, you would produce your own work and it felt sort of like, 
oh, because another, because you couldn't get a theater to do it. And then 13P came along and they were like, no, we're 13 kick-ass playwrights and we're going to produce each other's work because we can't get theaters to pay attention to our work. You know, one of them being Sarah Rule, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then things have shifted because 13P did its thing and that was great, but it's not really replicable. Um, And that's, which I, I can talk about in a second, but it's not really, you can't really replicate it. It was at a time and at a place. And uh, now um, playwrights in New York City are self-producing again. And so many more theaters are entering this world of curated rentals. You know, they have maybe yeah. a season and there they, are too many plays that they w- want to work with or too many playwrights. And so they do this sort of curated rental situation where, um, you have to apply and you have to be chosen, but essentially you're funding this production yourself. And then you're having a production in New York. And that's what I see from a lot of my New York colleagues that they are, um, taking the reins of uh, their own playwright agency, by raising money and producing their own work in New York. And it feels current again in a way that, you know, yeah, it feels new. It feels like, no, it isn't about um, institutions not wanting to do your work and it isn't possible to be 13 people anymore. So as institutions recognize that they would like to have more programming and not just have their building sit empty in between their, you know, five shows a season, um, they've kind of turned to curated rentals. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this affects the, shape of playwriting um actually um i I would love to email you later and and see if you have a list of theaters because we are still looking for one um this producer and i um when we when we talk about self-production i often say to people that i i have i don't think there's any stigma to it or it's a vanity thing or anything like that i just think it matters where you do it um, if you're trying to get return on it, if you if you want to see your show up just because you do. Um, but if I did a self-production in Buffalo, it would it would end here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is like I would never do a self-production in Portland. Um, I would only do a self-production in somewhere where it pays off um, and the only place that it can pay off. If at all. And there's no guarantee. And I is New York um, because it means that people have eyes on your work and it means that the next fellowship you apply for, you might win or the next, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I don't find that literary managers have the time and bandwidth to read plays anymore. Even with the Kilroy's list, I feel like there's just, even with my agent sending things out, things don't get read. And so I really do feel like it's putting your work in front of people's faces and eyes and to some degree the all-powerful New York Times review you know like that thing of like you'll get done regionally if you can get done in New York if you can get a good review in New York you can make that play move and so it just feels like wow how do you manipulate this um this pipeline you know and it feels like yeah it feels like it is a manipulation of the pipeline and it feels like so many people are turning to um, curated rentals. But uh, but to answer your question, I'm going to actually say some of the places out loud because it may be useful or interesting to some of the listeners here. Um, but New York Theatre Workshop next door has a curated rental. And if you're um, a playwright that, you know, like you and even if you're a professional playwright, um, but you're not living in New York, but you believe that you could pull off a production in New York and you have some of the funding, it'd be worth it to get in contact with the folks at New York Theatre Workshop and get on that list for the application for um, New York Theatre Workshop next door. Now, it's a small space, and so it's not right for every um, production, but uh, but that's a curated rental. Um, 
Uh, Rattlestick does curated rentals, uh, which is kind of an interesting situation. I've heard that Playwrights Horizons is uh, going to uh, be thinking about curated rentals. Mm. Um, The Tank, of course, does things and you can use the space for free, which is very exciting. But that really is... uh, um, you know, sort of very New York, uh, specific. Um, so, so there are like these little pockets. I would almost say, I almost want to say, Oh, uh, 14th street. Y 14th street. Y does a curated rental and they have a pretty nice space, um, between first and second on 14th street. Um, a, a larger, certainly larger than New York theater workshop. Um, uh, and they're, um, yeah, they're in their second or third year of that. It's pretty exciting. Where 59th, else? 59th also. Yeah, it's increasingly so. Uh, Val Day, who runs 59th, 59th, um, she's a new artistic director, uh, I guess within the last few years, new. Um, it is a curated rental, but it is very curated. So um, it's, uh, I guess they're all very curated. Um, yeah, they're all very curated. Uh, that one used to be the sort of the first one. And now I think there's more that have joined it that potentially can widen the field of what, uh, of what the institution wants. So I think for 5959, because they have a built-in subscriber audience, um, because their programming season is their rentals and they have a subscriber audience, they're very, very carefully curated. Um, another theater like New York theater workshop next door, they are not, uh, you're affiliated. You are having your, you know, you kind of get a tap for, uh, of approval and that you've been accepted. Um, but overall you're marketing it yourself. You're hiring, uh, your own press person, um, you're not really part of their season, whereas at 59 is 59, that is the season. So did you know what I mean? Like you can see the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here art center is another I'll throw into here. there. Oh my gosh. I'm so, so glad you brought up here because yes, they have a long history of curated rentals. And I want to say, um, in Brooklyn, is it, uh, the brick, the brick, which is now also going to, um, have artistic change, um, but has long, uh, had curated rentals and, um, Jack. Also in Brooklyn. So those are some exciting, uh, yeah, some pretty exciting opportunities. So I've just noticed more and more New York playwrights um, turning to that road. Uh, yeah, I don't know how it'll work out. It's sort of in the new, it's, you know, it's just new, 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 new. I think um, giving, also, uh, is a theater row. Most of those are basically um, this, uh, rentals too. Um, Absolutely. But um, I think that it will it will continue. I mean, then the proliferation of DIY festivals. I think yeah. they are all playing into that. It's like, oh, we don't have to do all the work. We can just <laughs> be the producer, you know, be yeah. the entity, and we can still do all this. And and the playwrights will come in and and do it. Um, yeah, I don't know how how that is is all going to play out. Um, nobody seems to make. Um, any distinction, and when you think about it, really isn't Broadway just self-production on a very high level? Yeah, I mean, I but I think in this case, the playwright really is funding the production. And in- it is funding, yeah. I mean, the way, I mean, Broadway is such like, an interesting animal because it really is the, the pinnacle for everybody but the playwright. I mean, getting there is, but, yeah. but with everybody else, you're kind of hired because of your talent and casting and ability. And for the playwright, you're there because someone has decided to fund you to be there. That's right. I see what you mean. Yeah, that's right. Except you have no, you don't have the agency. I guess like 
you know, if you were to, so I, I want to mention another, another place in New York, um, Art New York, the space on, uh, oh my gosh, it's like, I want to say like 53rd and 10th, maybe a great two theater space, um, affordable rentals really created for artists to be able to put up their work in New York. Fantastic space, fantastically run. Um, and in that case, uh, it is curated, but, but, but a lot less than the others. It really is almost a straight rental, but a beautiful space and a, and a real venue and, and meant to be affordable for artists to be getting their work up in New York with tons of, um, education of sort of how to produce and, but you really are, you really are the producer. You really are the playwright and the producer. Whereas in Broadway, you know, you're chosen, you're tapped. I think it's that level of agency that you can have. We have agency over what we write. We have agency over when we write. We have agency over how we write. We have agency and we can create a play. Um, but we are often beholden to uh, a producing institution that wants to then produce it. And the idea that playwrights can be producers uh, and have work that needs to be seen uh, grace stages where there are audience members that want to see it, like in New York, is fairly new. And it ha there has been a stigma attached to it. And I'm, I think there's just been, been this shift because there has to be. Like, I just don't oh, see. The <laughs> Say again? The flea. <laughs> The flea. Oh my gosh. Yes. The flea. The flea is great. Um, so that's exciting. But Donna, tell me what you're working on now. Uh, um, well, in keeping with what we kind of have been talking about, um, I, I have two new plays that, you know, one of them will be my big fall submission play. Um, one of that, uh, one is five women and the other is a comedy. So I'm like, Oh, which one is going to be the better one? Uh -huh. um, to submit. And then the next two that I have are both commissioned. So those both have first drafts due by March. So that's what I'm going to be pretty much working on over the winter is those two commissions. Oh, that's great. And those are commissions from local theaters or from uh, national theaters? Theater and one is, I mean, I, it's not actually a commission. It's from a publisher who kind of has a hole in their catalog oh. and would like to fill it with um, a certain adaptation. So um, it's kind of going to go you know, it'll be written and then we'll hopefully we'll find um, someone to produce it and then it will get published. Wow, that, that's a really exciting trajectory. Something I've not really kind of heard of, of the publisher approaching a playwright with a sort of space in their catalog. I mean, that's a really interesting uh, yeah, way forward. Um, I'm excited because both of them, like I said, have homes. So I have these two new plays um, that are, you know, out of my head. And, and you know, I always like to have one, one play for all the big fall ops. Um, oh yeah. And, and so I have two and one, like I said, it's a comedy and, and I don't know, like, how do you feel about submitting comedy to the O'Neill? Like, do you feel like that has a prayer? I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess does anything ever have a prayer at the O'Neill? Yeah, or, or any of the big, you know, any of the big development ops for the fall. Like, I just wonder how a comedy yeah. fares and all that. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a funny thing. I've, I've written really one comedy. It's a comedy about the Oregon wine industry, and it just won the Oregon Book Award. And it was produced by Oregon Contemporary Theater. And it's a really funny play. It's an adaptation of a French farce, of a Marivaux farce set on a Willamette Valley vineyard just before the grape harvest. And every artistic director that read it said, oh, my gosh, 
regional theaters are going to love this because people really want comedies now. I mean, it's a comedy with heart. It's about love and how to make love stay. And But it's still, it's a comedy. Um, but, uh, but nobody's really taking it that seriously, I think, because it's a comedy. So it's sort of an interesting thing, again, that goes back to what you said before of um, – you know, artist directors will say, oh, gosh, I wish we had something really funny. People want to laugh these days. But then when it comes to putting that on their stage, they, I think, do shy a little bit away from comedies because they think they're not addressing um, the complexities of our uh, times, which are dark uh, politically and socially. Comedies have a tough road. I think there's not a good path for them. And I yeah. think what we're seeing a lot of is kind of this hybrid comedy issue play. Um mm-hmm. And I think that it's okay to have a comedy that addresses serious things and still ends happily. Yeah. Um, But like I'm reading, I'm reading plays for a major thing right now and I'm, they're all so similar and I I would love for someone to just have something that's actually funny and is still saying something, but I find that the path for comedy is really difficult. Um, B Street is now having that comedy contest, which is great. um, Is it polite? Is it a comedy contest? They just finished their second year. I had one that was a semi-finalist for that. Um, I only have three comedies out of 20 full-length plays. And and a lot of it is because where do you send them? I have a Christmas yeah. comedy, but I, I can't get that placed anywhere. That's and it's so one thing. Um, Our directors will say to you, we want we want holiday shows. We want we want new funny holiday shows. I've had that conversation with 10 artistic directors, and now you have a funny holiday show and you can't get it done. That's what I mean. And I get it done. And it's one things, and people read it and say it's funny and it's got funny recommendations on NPX. And like I like to say, I have a dickens of a time getting it placed. Um, because everybody just wants to do the same holiday shows. They don't want to try a new holiday show. Right. Right. That's so interesting. But they say they do. They're like, gosh, I wish I could have, I wish someone would write me a new, a new holiday show. That's funny. And you're like, well, next time someone says that to me, I'm going to say, well, my friend Donna has a a very funny new holiday show and you've just asked for one. So now um, I'm going to have her send it to you and then you can read it and you can do her play. Otherwise stop complaining about, you know, having to do the same old holiday plays. But I have had that conversation with, I would say more than four artistic directors. Yeah, no, I know. When it comes to comedy, they're they're afraid to introduce a new comedy because I think it's risky with comedy because if it's not funny, then it's on you, you know. But if you do a bad production of, you know, The Odd Couple, like everyone already thinks it's funny or they've seen it done so many times that they can just copy things and and hope it will be funny. Yeah, sad. Like, how do we find the next Neil Simon? Like, you know, because nobody has anywhere to send those plays. It's really, or Wendy Wasserstein, oh my God, what a hoot, right? I mean, like a woman on Broadway, such comedy, really touching and funny things. Sisters Rosenzweig, so funny. Um, so Donna, your new, one of your new, your new play, one is going to the publisher, the other one's a commission. So I've often been in the situation of being commissioned, but not having the commission guaranteed for production. Have you ever been in that situation? No, I have not been commissioned a lot. Um, Last fall, I had a play go up in Buffalo that was commissioned by someone in California, and it was a play in which the Buffalo Bills had to win the Super Bowl. If you know anything about Bills history, this is a big deal. Um, And it it ended up being a huge, huge, huge success. I mean, because it was so crazy and, and people came, Bills fans and whatever. But it was always intended for production, provided he liked it. Um, and the same thing with this other one, 
with this other theater. Like I'm getting a paid a fee to write it, but we'll negotiate a separate contract and we're planning for May, 2021 and they will be in on the development of it. So it would really have to be horrible for them to suddenly turn around and be like, Oh, we don't want to do it now. It's not like they commission, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff like, like the Goodman or something. Um, and then like, they might not do that. You know, this is the first time this theater has ever commissioned a play. So they are pretty sure they're going to want to do it. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I've never, um, I've never had that, uh, situation where, uh, a theater guarantees from the get go of the commission that they're going to produce it. I, and I, I wish that they would. I think it's like so much more fun and it's riskier, I guess, but I mean, I don't know. They produce plays anyway. So what's really the risk? So I think it's great that in both of these cases, um, you know, like the football play, the commissioning person wanted something very specific. And then when I wrote it, he came and we did a big reading for him and he loved it and said, let's go ahead. But the plan was always to do it. And the same with this other one, like the artistic director at this theater wanted something about a very specific thing. So I think when somewhere like the Goodman, you know, does five commissions a year and people can write about whatever they want, when the plays come back, they might be like, yeah, that's not really what we want. You know what I mean? So they're, they're doing it to support the artists. They're not necessarily doing it to populate their season. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, I think that's interesting terrain. It's interesting terrain. Um, I live in Oregon, which is not far from, well, I live in Portland, it's five hours from Ashland, but I've gone down there a bunch since my first time there was actually for the Ashland New Plays Festival, which was fantastic and interesting. And it uh, acquainted me with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I didn't live in Oregon then. But now um, I do, and I go down there a lot and get to uh, hang out with people at Oregon Shakes, and it has been super interesting to just, um, I don't know, to be in a community with such a powerhouse of a theater community down in Ashland. So I think that's just I have not been. I was a, I was a finalist, um, and then through that, two of my plays ended up on Play for Keeps, and not even the one I was a finalist for because it would be a tough translation to audio. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there were two other plays, um, that they were interested in. So those are the two that are up on play for keeps, which I hope, you know, we talked about, you know, people not liking to read plays. Um, I have listened to some, you know, if you're on a car ride, you know, you can knock out a play like on your commute. And I, I hope that, you know, they get more lit managers and people listening to the plays that are on mm-hmm. there so that they don't have to read them. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I don't think mine is, I don't think I have any plays on plays for keep, uh, play for keeps. I just have, uh, I was just member. I was just part of the, um, Ashland new play festival. I just submitted my work and it won. And I went there, I was still in grad school and I think it might've been the first time I was in Oregon actually. So it's pretty exciting. I see so many people in Portland. I, I just keep hoping something will bring me there. Oh, well, you know, you should come, you should come regardless. You know, Ellen Lewis, she's out here in Oregon. I, I just do. saw her today. I just saw her out in Chautauqua. She was out my way and I actually listened to her podcast on my way to go see her play. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. She was just at the meeting here. She's a re- another resident artist at uh, artist repertory theater. And, um, yeah, she's an exciting, um, playwright with a long history of at Ashland New Plays Festival. And she, she, she's like my other, she, I mean, there aren't a lot of playwrights in um, Portland uh, or she's in the, she's not in Portland. She's just outside, but um, it's really nice to have sort of a, a a playwright friend who works professionally in a, in a, 
the area where there aren't too many people that work um, work nationally as playwrights. A lot of people work locally as playwrights, and so it's nice to have uh, a buddy who I can talk about. The that's Buffalo too. We don't have really too many career aspirational playwrights here. Right. Yeah. What? Well, how do you find? I mean, how do you find? Um, uh, I guess it's an interest to me. It's sort of sometimes hard to to navigate. Um, I want to be encouraging of everybody's work and I, and I teach playwriting and I love to be encouraging of everybody's work, but my goals and aspirations and my work is meant to be not just here. And I, my whole career, my whole life is actually geared towards being a playwright to being a playwright nationally. This is what I do. And so I find that I, I sometimes I'm, I lack for playwriting friends where I live because even though I'm supportive, I feel like we have such different maybe goals. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, not many career aspirational playwrights. Um, I can think of one other who's, you know, uh, putting the level of effort into it that I yeah. that I do with traveling and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, they might be writing, but they're not uh, traveling and doing all the kinds of things that, that regional playwrights, I think, really have to do yeah. uh, to kind of be accessible and make it seem like you're not as remote as, as we are. Um but I also, you know, I, I moderate official playwrights of Facebook. I'm talking to playwrights, I feel like, constantly, um, you know, by email, by Facebook, by by discussion. I feel like I'm in the mix. <laughs> um, you know, I go to New York probably five or six times a year for different things. And, you know, I'm always taking meetings and trying to meet new people every time I go and, and stuff. So, I mean, I think that if you're a regional playwright, that is something that you have to do. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I hope, um, I'll be in New York in September for, um, for, I think in mid September for the new dramatist, uh, all writers meeting and new playwrights welcome. I go in, uh, every fall and every spring to do that. Um, and I'd, I'd love to meet in person. So maybe we can figure what date, maybe, what date um, I don't have my, my plane dates yet, but I think it'll be the week of the 14th. Oh, okay. I am going for the council meeting, which is on the 16th, but I'm going to go for the weekend and see some shows. Well, let's let's hook up because I'll okay. be there that weekend. And have you seen Hades Town already? I did because I'm a Tony voter, so I saw that stuff last season. Uh, so. All right. Well, maybe we can go to the theater, but let's do it. I would love it. Yeah. I have it. I just wrote it down in my little notepad, and I'm going to email you later, and we can we can meet in person, which was that too was long gone. That yeah. was so fun. And actually, I actually have on my to-do list today to plan my trip. So um, absolutely. Great. Great. Uh, me too. I have it on my to-do list too, but I have to get some details like uh, if new dramatists can house me during that time or not. But I guess I'm just going to buy the plane ticket. And uh, that's the thing about being so far away. I, I envy the playwrights that are at least you can take like a train or a bus, but I have to fly and I have to plan it enough in I advance to do fly because it's not any less expensive to take the train or the bus. Oh. Um, and it's like a 45 minute flight for me. So it's, it's not a big deal. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I apply for things in New York if they're not closed to regional people, because if I had to go once a month or whatever, I could do it. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I know people in Buffalo who have done similar things, you know, where they like actors mostly who do that kind mm -hmm. of trip. It's doable, but Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exciting. I feel like are we at time or we is there uh, more to we're we're pretty close.
close. I don't know if there was anything else that um, we, I mean, I feel like we, we could probably keep going for another hour because I don't think we've even talked about half the things that, <laughs> that we have in common. But um, yeah. yeah, from a regional perspective, I hope we were helpful to people. Um, I think the list of, of curated rental spaces in New York is, is useful to people as they start to think about, you know, if they want to do that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I will add, like, just to, to those people that are listening, I mean, you've already mentioned it, but the level with which you submit things is, uh, I, I do too. I submit things, as you said, all of the fall development things that are happening. It's New Harmony Project, it's O'Neill, um, Playpen, um, uh, what, 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 uh, the one that I, the one that's like in the beautiful place uh, that I can't think of the name of right now. It's like in Idaho or Utah or Seven Devils. Seven Devils, thank you. And then Sundance, of course, you know, so Seven Devils, um, you know, and then, I don't know, are there others you want to just name check for people listening? Um, I have let's see, the O'Neill, Seven Devils, Great Plains, Playpen, Plains. New Harmony. Um, those are the, the big ones. Um, yeah. There are so many. I mean, I would have to, I would have to get my submission list out to, I know September 1st, I'm usually submitting to like 10 things. That's like the yeah. first day that it opens. Um, there are, there are, a lot. Um, but yeah. I don't remember offhand what they all are. I know those are the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mainly submit to the, to the big ones, um, because, uh, just of the time away, you know, from, from my family and stuff. But, um, I yeah, want to figure like, if I really got into two of them, I would worry about that when it happens. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm so excited to see you in New York and anytime you're out in, um, in Oregon, you know, come, come stay with me. And, uh, I absolutely will. Yeah. One of these days I will get to Portland. I have people working on it, so hopefully something can happen. Oh, good. Um, But yeah, let's definitely plan to get together in New York. Um, like the 15th or 16th or 14th, I'm arriving the 14th. So, um, from there, I'm going to look at my calendar now. All right, then I will say goodbye to you. Thank you for okay. this insightful and fun time. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to that conversation between Andrea Stolowitz and Donna Hoke. If you want to hear more conversations from actors, playwrights, or creatives, make sure you go to playforkeeps.org or subscribe to any of the number of podcast outlets you can listen to us on, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher Radio. Play for Keeps podcast is a production of the Ashland New Plays Festival. It is directed by James Pagliasotti. This episode was produced by me, Andy Neal, with art direction by Cara Quinn Lewis and written content edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to AMPF Artistic Director Kyle Hayden, Associate Artistic Director Jackie Epidaka, and Fall Festival host playwright Beth Kander. Visit us online at playforkeeps.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Help us spread the word about this podcast. Like, follow, share, and subscribe. I'm your host, Andy Neal, and until we meet next week, remember, want to play? Play for keeps.